You're listening to a Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual All right, a little pop quiz to start the show this week. I'm going to read you some quotes from a politician, and then you're going to guess if this is a Democrat or a Republican. She wears little eye patch underwear. So the other day, she came here with her underwear Thursday, and so we'd made love Wednesday a lot, and she'll she's all, I'm going up and down the stairs, and you're dripping out of me. So messy. I'm getting into spanking her. Yeah, I like it. I like spanking her. She goes, I know you like spanking me. I said, yeah, because you're such a bad girl. All right. Democrat or Republican? Here's a little more. Oh, yeah. Sure. Shar. Shar. Oh, she is hot. I talked to her yesterday. She goes, so we finished? I go, no, we're not finished. I go, you know about the other one, but she doesn't know about you. Same politicians are clearly he's two time. We got two women. He's got two women. One knows about the other. He's spanking one of them. His fucking political spunk is running down her legs as she runs up and down the stairs. Democrat or a Republican? I'll give you a hint. The man whose spunk is leaking out of mistress number one opposes gay marriage, is a defender of the traditional family, and has voted quote, time and time again to protect and preserve family values in California and is a 100% rating from a conservative evangelical group. Democrat or Republican politician? Uh, oh, here's another detail. He's married and has two small children. And neither of these other women that he's talking about are his wife. Democrat or Republican? Can you guess? Can you guess? You want a little more? Both the women he's fucking are lobbyists. With business before the committee that he sits on in the California legislature. Democrat or Republican? Oh, my God. If you guessed Republican, you guessed right. That would be Michael D. Duvall, the 72nd Assembly District representative in the California state legislature. And quite a horn dog with a long list of women uh, anxious for his spunk to run down their legs in the state capitol. Now, I would urge all of you to go... Look up his picture, particularly you like frustrated 25, 35-year-old uh, guys, uh, male virgins perhaps, or guys who feel like their virginity is returning, who aren't getting any, and call and write often about how hard it is to find some, and take a good long look at this guy. This guy has women, is beating women off with his family values stick. Clearly, if you're not getting laid, you need just even, you know, as Henry Kissinger said, power is an aphrodisiac. You just need a tiny little bit of power. Perhaps you need to sit on a committee uh, that's being lobbied by, you know, hot 30-something lobbyists when you're a disgusting 50-something, icky, uh, revolting, three-timing, uh, hypocrite Republican douchebag, and you'll get all the pussy you need, all the pussy you want. All right, thank you for playing Democrat or Republican, and we're going to get to your calls right after this. This episode of The Lovecast is brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a stylish website or blog and express yourself online. For a free trial plus 10% off your new account, go to Squarespace.com, code SAVAGE. Before I get to your calls, though, you know, an addendum to the rant that I, that I opened the podcast with. 
there will be calls next week from people saying Democrats have affairs. John Edwards had a child with his mistress and Elliot Spitzer was choking hookers and the current governor of New York admitted that he had an affair. So it's not like the having of affairs is exclusively a Republican hypocrite douchebag uh, fuckwit phenomenon. But here's what makes it more relevant uh, and newsworthy when a Republican has an affair. Democrats haven't spent 30 years telling people how to organize their private lives. Democrats haven't aligned themselves with a religious movement that seeks to micromanage everyone else's private lives and tells people how they may or may not express themselves sexually and wants to, as a political party, set itself up the Democrats don't seek to, as a political party, set itself up in judgment over all other people and the sexual choices that they may make. So while a Democrat who cheats on his wife is an adulterer and a chief bag, <laughs> so while a Democrat who cheats on his wife is a douchebag and an adulterer, he's not a political hypocrite. Elliot Spitzer did not have a 100% rating from the Family Values, Traditional Values, Douchebag Coalition because of the many long nights he spent beating the fuck out of gay people and trying uh, to prevent marriage equality from taking hold in New York. This asshole in California with the two mistresses and the wife at home does, which is what makes his affair and his semen running down the legs of a lobbyist with business before his committee relevant. Hi, Dan. Um, I had some advice I want to ask you about. I am 28 years old and I'm currently single. Um, but I'm single in kind of a strange way for a 28-year-old. Um, my last relationship was really wonderful um, and ended as um, a result of my boyfriend's death. Um, he had cancer. Um, I was with him through all of that and was his primary caregiver. Um, and you, of course, still have a lot of emotion about that. But it's been almost two years, um, and I haven't really dated. Um, I was living in a small town, and I just recently moved to a bigger city um, in hopes that I could meet some more people. And, you know, I'm having that kind of trouble meeting people, but not anything that I think is unusual. Um, I still get, you know, people just are kind of shocked, even if it's just like someone I'm not interested romantically, but um, just a new friend or something. People just like get these blank expressionless looks on their faces where, you know, they don't know what to say and I don't know what to say. And I just kind of like laugh awkwardly and it's it's kind of awful. <laughs> Um, and like, I feel like I'm ready. I, I, I've, you know, been interested in some people and I've talked about things and, and had things, but nothing's gone anywhere yet. It's only been a couple of years. Uh, that's not too much time, 24 months to try to recover from as traumatic an experience as you went through. It's a good idea that you moved to a big city from the small town where you lived in, where you're probably viewed by everyone as your boyfriend's, um, near a widow. I think that what you need to do is wait, uh, however long you say you've been waiting, uh, to, to disclose this information to people that you're interested in or people that you're dating, double or triple it and wait that long. Uh, it's not something you should be ashamed of, certainly, but it's not something that early in a relationship you want to have everything you do and who you are viewed through the prism of that traumatic experience. What you need to do, you know, it's major baggage and, and what you went through creates major sort of lifelong damage. But what you need to do is let a guy that you're dating 
date you long enough and see you in action long enough to realize when you do disclose that however traumatic this experience was, it isn't, uh, you're not constantly devastated or on the rack about it, that you're able to function and be happy uh, and be sexually active if you're sexually active and enjoy life and enjoy him and enjoy being with him uh, and really prove all of that before you disclose. The problem with disclosing too soon or too early something like this is that the guy you're dating may feel like he's going to have to, you know, walk on eggshells all the time, that he, if it doesn't work out, he won't be able to dump you because of what you've suffered. So somebody who dates you may feel that, you know, if they continue to date you after you've disclosed that, that they're really signing up forever because what kind of monster dumps a girl who lost a boyfriend the way you lost a boyfriend previously. So, but if you give them enough time, uh, if you let the relationship go on long enough that, the guy wants to stick around and doesn't feel like this disclosure is kind of calling the question about his intentions toward you uh, and that if he continues to date you after learning this, that he's really stuck with you because he, he couldn't live with uh, freshly traumatizing you after what you went through before, then it might be okay. I, I would say that something like this, living in a new town, meeting new people, you could wait a year. You could wait a year into dating to tell someone about this. Um, and you should, perhaps, particularly if you've had bad luck with disclosing too soon. Hi, Dan. Uh, 21-year-old female here. Um, I'm calling you with a question about relationships. Um, I am having some issues because about, um, actually, it's coming up on the two-year anniversary here. Um, about two years ago, um, an ex-boyfriend of mine committed suicide and um, we weren't dating at the time, but we were talking and we were, you know, kind of sort of going to get together again. Anyways, it was very complicated and um, I was the last person we talked to and, and things were just very, um, it, it was a very hard death to say the least. Um, and so I'm kind of out of that initial hole of dealing with, you know, the aftershocks of, of the death itself, but I'm still dealing with the after effects of what that's done to my relationships with men. Um, I push them away. I don't like to talk to them as much as they like to talk to me or, I mean, that sounds silly, but I, I just, I can't, if someone starts getting close to me, I push them away and, and I'm, I'm kind of struggling with, um, you know, with how to resolve that. I've, I've been to therapy uh, to deal with the death. And I found that um, talking about it every week doesn't help me. It brings me back to it and it makes me more sad. So now I'm just kind of trying to live my life and move on. And um, there's, I'm doing it right now as we speak. I'm pushing some guy away and he's great. He's awesome. We're interested in the same stuff. He's perfect. Um, I'm, you know, attracted to him and everything. But uh, I keep pushing him away. Again, 24 months is not too much time. I wouldn't read a great deal into your interactions with men in the 24 months uh, that elapsed between today and uh, when your ex-boyfriend killed himself. You say you're pushing this guy away. He's great for you, blah, blah. If you know that you're behaving in an irrational way, it is within your power to knock it the fuck off. Perhaps not in the moment, but what you should do is have a sit down, have a chat with the boyfriend and say... In some ways, I'm still wrestling with these demons from, you know, my ex-boyfriend's suicide two years ago. And sometimes I get spun up and I start acting irrationally 
and I'll engage in, you know, behaviors X, Y, and Z, which constitute pushing you away. I was trying to call you to figure out, to find out exactly what you do to push them away or what you're doing to push him away. And honey, in advance of, you know, those moments I get spun up and engage in X, Y, and Z behaviors, which constitute pushing you away, I want you and I'm giving you permission to disregard me when I get like that and I start pushing you away because it's not uh, what I want and I'm just sort of a little out of control. Then all he has to do when you start doing X, Y, and Z is look at you like, I'm just going to weather this storm until X, Y, and Z passes and he doesn't have to engage and doesn't have to try to discuss these things your irrational moments with you in a, in a rational manner which only makes a, a person who is spinning up worse and then when it's all over and you calm the fuck down and you look back and go wow the way i was acting yesterday was that sort of pushing you away bullshit he'll go i know that's why i left that's why i went to the movies that's why i got the fuck away from you are you better now let's go hang out you know you have because of your traumatic experience the right to a little uh, slack and some buy-off from the people you date uh, for a little bit of uh, loopiness, not an endless amount of loopiness, not cargo container ships full of loopiness, but a little bit here and there. And, you know, if, if he's worth having that conversation with and he regards you as being worth putting up a little bullshit for, you might be able to to work this out. Today's podcast is brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a stylish website or blog and express yourself online. With Squarespace.com, you don't have to know a single line of code to create a beautiful, unique-looking website. Here's why. Squarespace puts you in control of a web publishing platform that makes it easy to add content and features to your website, such as photo galleries, data collection forms, maps, social media links, blog posts, and more, all managed through an easy-to-use dashboard. For listeners of the Savage Love podcast, Squarespace is offering a free trial plus 10% off your new account. Go to squarespace.com, code SAVAGE. That's squarespace.com, code SAVAGE. Hi, Dan. I am a 31-year-old straight female. I'm currently single, and I've been dating a lot of people um, that I've met through an online dating site. And one of the guys that I've met who I think is really great and we've gone out a couple of times and we had some really nice, you know, interactions over email before we met and we get along nicely and he's good looking and all of that. But I get the sense that he he just strikes me as very stereotypically gay and I'm wondering if I'm kind of projecting this or if that's you know, an issue, I, we've, you know, made out, we haven't necessarily had sex, but kind of made out and it's hot, um, but I, I just can't kind of shake this feeling that he's a little bit, dare I say, like faggy. He seems stereotypically faggy. Tried to call you, not having any luck getting anybody on the phone today. I would like to know what his stereotypically faggy traits are. Um, Many guys with stereotypically faggy traits are fags. That's how those got to be stereotypically faggy traits in the first place. But there are guys out there who are totally masculine and the bears and totally, you know, beer drinking, hairy belly scratching, farting, cum guzzling faggots. So the existence of guys who are stereotypically straight and yet are cum guzzling faggots, we can infer from their existence, that there may be stereotypically faggy 
pussy-chomping straight dudes out there. Uh, and you may be dating one. You say you've made out. Did he have a boner? Um, you know, you need to go into it with your bullshit detectors firing on all cylinders because there have been cases of stereotypically faggy guys who convinced women that they were just straight but stereotypically faggy who turned out to be total fags in the end. Ted Haggard, right? You don't want to be gal haggard when you grow up. So I'd be on the lookout for reasons he might be lying to you about not being gay. Is he religious and on the rack about uh, homosexuality being a sin? Is, you know, is he the last in the long line of males with a certain unique last name and is under a ton of pressure from his family to marry and have children and pass the name along? You know, if you see a reason why he might be lying to you or himself about his true sexual identity, then that adds weight to perhaps the fag side of the scale. But if there isn't, he could just be a straight guy who likes musicals, who uh, enjoys having his ass fingered, who does sit-ups, who likes to cook, who has an apartment that doesn't look like a shithole. All of those traits uh, are stereotypically faggy, and yet there are straight men out there who eat pussy, who possess those traits. I would suggest if you want to like set the bar high uh, before you go on with this relationship, as it progresses towards sex, say to him, you know, at first when I'm getting to know someone sexually, uh, all I want to do is oral. And really put it out there. Say, first time we go to bed, you are eating my pussy. If he avoids eating your pussy or avoids going to bed with you, that's a stereotypically faggy trait that proves fagdom. Because, you know, a fag can fuck a woman. I fucked a woman. You can put your dick in a woman and close your eyes and pretend it's Keanu Reeves' ass after a particularly aggressive fist fucking, perhaps. But you can't eat pussy and pretend it's cock or ass or anything, but exactly what it is. Hi, Dan. I'm a 22-year-old woman, and I'm straight. I have a sort of, I guess, a philosophical question about bondage. I find the idea of a sex partner tying me up and having sex with me, especially having oral sex, really hot. So I've, I've recognized that I find this idea very sexually appealing. I've never actually done it, and I've never asked a partner to do it because I can't, I guess I can't reconcile that desire, the, the desire to, I guess, engage in bondage with my identity as a feminist. And let's be honest, I just find this whole thing totally fucking cliche. And I've talked to some female friends about bondage, and they've said that it makes sense that a woman with my personality type, um, which is sort of type A, kind of a control freak, pretty assertive, um, that I would find it attractive to not be the dominant player during sex. So giving control to a partner and that they've tied me up um, kind of makes sense to them. But how, how can I be okay with that? How can I get what I want sexually if intellectually I object to it? I hate the idea that, you know, as a strong woman, I'm just sitting around touching myself until some big strong man can come tie me up and pleasure me. And I think in a way I, I think less of myself because I want that. So I just wanted to hear your thoughts. You know, just so I could uh, get another perhaps outraged blog post about me up at feministing.com, I've invited Monk from twistedmonk.com. Uh, which is a purveyor of fine bondage ropes uh, to people all over the United States, and also Monk is the possessor of an actual human penis, on with me, who is the possessor of another actual human penis, to discuss your feminist dilemma about uh, bondage and submission during sex. Hey, Monk. Hey, Dan. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? I am doing dandy. So in your sort of impartial opinion as a heterosexual-ish guy who likes to tie up women, should this feminist woman get tied up sometime? 
totally. It's uh, it's an incredible. It's actually a very empowering thing. Most uh, bottoms will tell you that. It's uh, empowering to give yourself permission to do the shit you want to do. Isn't that part of what feminism is all about? It the, is. The fact to the straight guy. And 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 as it's like you're falling for what is like classic propaganda. You know, everyone, everyone. I mean, even myself included. When I first found out my mother-in-law wanted to be a submissive. I was like, oh, my God, she can't do that. She's this big, strong woman who's raised kids and fought bears and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Until you, like, actually found out, like, oh, wait a minute. Just because you like to get tied up and fucked does not make you a weak person. No. That's like, that's like saying, I like to go to the gym, therefore I'm a jock. Uh-huh. It's like, no. But what about her desire to sort of eradicate this conflict between the idea of herself as this strong, self-possessed woman who's in charge of her life and uh, this desire in her erotic life to occasionally be submissive? I, I look at that and think, well, why do you need to resolve that or eradicate that conflict? Isn't part of what sex is about is sort of, you know, driving as fast as you can into the wall of that conflict and enjoying the sound of the crash? Hell yes. I'd say if you can't fix it, feature it eroticize it. I mean, find a partner who, you know, okay, at this time when we play, I'm going to give up control. Or better yet, I'm going to have you take control. Mm. Not I'm going to sit here passively while you tie me up. I want you to wrestle me to the ground while I bite, kick, and scream, and then have you tie me up and fuck me. Mm -hmm. So that I am, um, you know, I am giving up to the last nth of my strength, because that's what turns me on. Because I can't reconcile. I can't just be a, you know, a submissive. So I want to have it taken from me. The women you play with, mm -hmm. how many of them are sort of politically submissive? How many of them are not feminists? How many Phyllis Schlafly's have you tied up in your time? Not feminists? Yeah. Honey, I don't play with weak people. <laughs> Every All the women that oh, I you play... called me honey. Oh, darling. Okay. But you know what I mean? I, I just... I, I, in fact, to me, that just like... Ugh, kind of squeaks me a little bit. It does, you know, it does seem kind of, like, when, when you try to, when you turn it around like that, like, the women who are into getting tied up that I know are all really strong and smart and, and you know, and aggressive about their desires and seeking them out. The idea that, you know, meek little submissive uh, Baptist wives are the people who should naturally be into this kind of play. Yeah, and, and, just, and just waiting for some big, strong man. They're forgetting, it's like, the fact the stronger, more independent, more, quite frankly, powerful you are, the fact that you're going to give that up to me for a brief moment of time and we're going to do this thing together makes it all the sexier and all the hotter. And you get it back. And you get it back. And yeah, you, how much more do you feel your power when it returns to you, when it rushes back in? Or you flip. Exactly. And, and, it's, like, and it's like the role of the top is like, okay, you're going to give me this gift. Of your submission. And I am going to take this, and we're going to have a really good time. Um, I think, um, pardon me, the trains are roaring past <laughs> me on the Abbey. No worries, no worries. Um, who is it who uh, wrote um, the book on the bottoming book? Uh, Dosi Easton talked about, like, a good top is sort of like an alchemist, where you give them your submission, you give them this gift, they take it, they craft it, they sort of like use a super cauldron and give it back to you. So what would you say to this woman about her conflict? Um, I would have to say is first off, um, don't believe the hype, okay? Don't believe the hype that if, you know, to like bondage, I must be some kind of like cow-eyed submissive, mm -hmm. that it's okay to be a strong feminist, and in fact, most 
bondage people really, really like that. It makes what you do all the more powerful. Um, second thing is do this with someone you trust. Um, and the third thing would be is, yeah, don't fix it, feature it. Right. You want to be the big to, tough. To eroticize it, make it part of the play. Not that you're just a lady tied up. Yeah, exactly. You're a you're a tough bitch feminist lady tied up. Exactly. And, I have, you know, it's so much more interesting, is it not, to restrain a powerful person than to restrain somebody who's made out of you know wet bread? Exactly. Exactly. I'm 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 thought, I have a play partner who yeah that is precisely what she wants to be. She's a very high powered VP, and. It, you know, for her to eroticize it, it is not, I'm going to be very passive and submissive. I'm going to be, you know, you're going to take me down. Okay, tell us a little bit about uh, TwistedMonk.com and, and uh, Okay, TwistedMonk.com, uh, we are the original, um, the largest, and the most trusted name in rope bondage in the world. We provide hemp, uh, bamboo, silk ropes. Uh, if pretty much, if you've seen anyone ever tied up on the Internet, we probably made the rope for it. <laughs> uh, we are all organic, fair here. trade, and... Um, Vegan. Uh, I know cruelty-free bondage rope seems like an oxymoron in terms, but that's what we are. I love the idea of cruelty-free bondage rope. What, what would non-vegan bondage rope look like? Made out of cat gut? No, basically it's one of the oils that they use. Uh, a lot of guys will use an oil that's made from either animal shin bones or from... Um, or from feminists. Or from feminists, exactly. Minks. They squeeze minks down, which is even worse. Ew. To, to oil it, but we actually use a vegan oil that you can... You could eat our rope if you were really, really hungry, but it'd be a waste of rope. So come the apocalypse, you want some of your rope around. Well, of course. Hey, Monk, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thanks a lot, Dan. Look forward to talking to you again. Hi, Dan. Um, I am a 21-year-old straight girl, and I have a bit of a dilemma for you. I have a friend uh, whom I've known for several years, and we used to be the best of friends. She is Mormon, and, you know, in spite of that, I've always thought of her as being pretty progressive and very self-possessed. Um, so you can imagine my surprise when she told me today that she is engaged. And the guy to whom she's engaged, she's known for about three months at this point. Uh, the day they get married, they'll have known each other less than a year. And uh, I, I didn't. I um. I told her I'd come to her wedding because I, you know, I wouldn't miss it. But. I really, I think that she's making a mistake. I think that she's rushing into this. She's 19 years old. And, you know, I feel like the reason that a lot of Mormon kids get married so young is that um, a lot of what they think is love is just good old-fashioned lust, which they can't separate out because they can't have sex. So... I don't know if I should say something to her or if I should just try to be happy for her. She, you know, I'm about 85% sure that nothing I say is going to change her mind um, and it might just make her hate me. Here's a funny story. About, God, almost 11 years ago, my boyfriend and I went to his brother's wedding and his brother was marrying uh, someone he met in his church. His brother is a fundamentalist Christian. He's marrying this fundamentalist Christian girl that he met in his church that he'd known for three months. And there we were, the disapproving gay relatives at the fundamentalist Christian wedding, because we thought that was too soon and too sudden and that it wouldn't last, couldn't last, and they were making a big mistake. But we went to be supportive. They're still together. They have a little kid. They seem very happy. We were wrong. It's possible that you could be wrong. 
You know, to paraphrase Vice President Cheney, who said freedom means freedom for everyone. Tolerance means tolerance for everyone, including people living the disgusting alternative Mormon lifestyle. Tolerance doesn't mean you approve. Tolerance doesn't mean you think it's a good idea. Tolerance means you put up with it. You are charged with putting up with your friend's wedding. You say that you're torn between saying something or trying to be happy for her. You can say something and try to be happy for her at the same time. It really is your job as a friend to say to her not, you're dumb, you're stupid, you're retarded, leotarded, you're making a mistake. Your point as a friend, your charge as a friend is to say to her, have you thought this through? You're only 19. I worry that you're doing this for this reason. And it might have something to do with your religion and your faith that's sort of tricking you up, tripping you up sexually. And hash this issue out with her. That's what a friend does. If she gets angry, let her get angry. Sometimes you have to risk the anger of your friends to be their friend, really. And then after you say your piece and she defends herself or, you got, or she thinks about it more deeply, then you shift gears into the try to be happy for her mode. And you can successfully be happy for her even if you think she might be making a mistake. We were happy for my boyfriend's brother and his wife even though we thought they might be making a mistake. And I am happy to say now, lo these many years later, that we were wrong. You may one day be able to say the same. Hey, Dan, I was just listening to some of your rant cast from uh, you know, the election, and I just want to let you know that I used to be part of the religious right, and I was extremely anti-gay, even to the point where I posted anti-gay flyers all around my high school, but now I couldn't be more different from that. So I just want to let you know that you know people like you are actually making a difference, and convincing people who, you know, are ignorant or hateful that they are wrong and that they need to change their ways. And, I mean, I was part of the Mormon church, and even there's probably only about 10% of the Mormon girls my age who are against gay people. So, I mean, I think that most churches who oppose gay people are either going to crumble or significantly lose their membership because... The young people of America are all about the gay marriage. Of course, I had to run that one after telling you to tolerate your friend's uh, disgusting Mormon lifestyle. Just to, you know, to fill you with hope that one day perhaps your friend will leave the Mormon lifestyle. Because really the Mormon lifestyle is a choice and there are lots of ex-Mormons out there. And I think just the existence of ex-Mormons demonstrates to us all that no one has to be Mormon. Hi, Dan. I'm 28. I'm active in the BDSM community. Uh and I'm also a nurse, and I was listening to podcast 147, and there was a, a young woman concerned about getting diseases from, from toys, um, and you mentioned, you know, blood, if blood was being exchanged, obviously that's what most people would be worried about, but I wanted to point out a disease that's on the rise in the community um, called MRSA, which is methicillin-resistant staph aureus, um, and that can be passed, that's basically passed between sweaty people who are scantily clad, which obviously common occurrence in the BDSM community, um, and it can be a surface thing. It first showed up in the community amongst wrestlers and football players, and in San Francisco, there within the last year, there was an outbreak in the gay community. Um, so this, you can kill this with Lysol wipes, um, and you know you don't you don't necessarily want to be carrying those around all the time, but it is something to be aware of, especially if you have anything that compromises your immune system, diabetes, if you take steroids for your asthma, um, 
you know, uh, anything like that. I mean, obviously, if you're seropositive, you're going to be super aware of that kind of stuff. Um, but just just something to kind of make people aware of because it's pretty nasty um, and it's it's resistant and it's it's a new and rising disease to be aware of. Um, so yeah, just wanted to let your listeners know about that. Thank you very much for the call and the feedback and the advice. It's really good. MRSA is a rising, potentially sexually transmitted disease. A lot of people are exposed to it in healthcare settings and hospitals and doctor's offices, which proves that you should never have sex with nurses. Just kidding. You should certainly have sex with nurses all the time because they are wise and they know what they're talking about and they give good advice. Thanks for your call. We have one other. The text of the Irish youth are just shaking their heads and looking at me like I am the world's biggest asshole. And finally, today I'm going to read a letter from a listener, which I don't usually do, but we're going to make an exception for this person for reasons that will be blatantly obvious, and now I'm just going to shut up and read the letter. I'd call in with this, but I have a speech impediment, so your listeners would have difficulty understanding me. I listen with interest to the caller with the hung boyfriend rampaging her poor pussy. I've had similar problems before from the other side. He's got a big dick and a speech impediment. One piece of advice you missed. Don't handle this in the heat of the moment. I had a girlfriend once who sat me down in her living room, not her bedroom, and said, I need you to be more careful with that big thing. Sex with you hurts, and if you don't find a way to stop hurting me with it, I'm going to dump you. I made some changes, learned some new things, altered my style, and now I am a better and presumably more considerate lover. This guy does sound like an asshole, so he's backing me up on that piece of advice, the big dick guy I call an asshole. But I think the best way to give him a fair chance to prove that he's not is to have a conversation about it at a point in time when his cock is not hard or in her pussy pounding away. Lay out the consequences of not changing his behavior in clear terms and deliver those consequences as appropriate. Thanks very much for your email. We are done. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast if you'd like to call in for a future show once again 206-201-2720 you download us every week at thestranger.com slash savage i blog every day at slog.thestranger.com where you can read the savage love letter of the day and me and the tech savvy at risk youth we'll be back at you next week with another installment of the savage Lovecast. thanks for listening